Welcome to Mental Awareness Discussion, the MAD Podcast, with Miles Weber, Heather Weber, and Susan Thompson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the MAD Podcast, the Mental Awareness Discussion, brought to you, as always, by Broken Drift Productions and Banana Bros. You can get your Banana Bros swag that I am very accessibly wearing right now uh, from at AZ Banana Bros on Instagram. Also, follow Broken Drift Productions at Broken Drift Productions on Instagram, and you can follow the podcast on Instagram at Mad podcast uh my name is miles i'm the host of the podcast with me as always is my co-host on this podcast and my co-host in life my wife heather weber hello dear how are you hi i invaded your square today you did invade my square today yeah for those of you who are listening usually we're uh we're in separate squares but because we have a sleepy human right now upstairs uh we're in the same square because he sleeps on the other wall from where my office is where i usually record these and so yeah i don't know if my voice is uh soothing to keep him asleep or alarming and annoying to awake him but i didn't want to find out on this podcast so here we are in the same square good to have you next to me yeah. uh and then we have our friend from canada and hilarious comedian susan thompson joining us susan how you doing good how are you guys fantastic he's asleep and we're doing great we don't have any baby fluid on us right now that will change (laughs) within the hour uh with us today our guest uh very uh, excited to have her on she's a mover and a shaker she does a lot of different things Uh, i met her years ago we co-hosted an internet show together uh seems like many lifetimes ago and she's been uh one of the main personalities on uh, smosh gaming on youtube she's got her own stuff going online as well so she's become this big internet personality so and she's also been on survivor fun fact so uh welcome uh mari takahashi to the podcast mari how's it going hi hi i'm in my own uh square (laughs) own square absolutely (laughs) <laughs> a little far away from Canada, but uh, yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on. So yeah, well, you've done a lot. I mean, we you're always one that we go, man, I don't know how you do it. And then you always look at us, I don't know how you do it. And then we get into one of those things. So, <laughs> so why don't you let folks know just a little bit about like who you are and all of the things that have kind of made up the person you've become today. Sure. Yeah, no, I mean, to, to touch on what you said, I think... I have known many types of workers and people in different industries, and I still say that comedians are the hardest working people. Um, and that is from somebody who enjoys comedy as you know, an audience member who's gone to the improv every week in LA uh, just to just to watch and continuously watch comedians perform, um, no matter you know whether they're just starting out or have been in it for years and are you know like legends of the industry have already made it and they're still working on stuff it's so fascinating to see from an outsider's perspective and i love it um as far as my work goes i feel like i've i've um uh lived many lives because of uh, i don't know i don't know this is gonna probably go back to therapy but um and we'll get there later i started out as a professional ballerina Um, That transferred into digital media really by accident, not knowing that it was going to take off. I started with Smosh in 2010, um, kind of without any sort of expectations that anything would happen. But they, in 2010, had 10 million subscribers. And so I just kind of like appeared onto their channel. And since then, I've been on this wild ride 12 years now in uh, digital media. 
um, and have been able to set up my own stuff and kind of, you know, have a little corner of the internet to myself. Um, I'm now in acting school at Lee Strasberg in Los Angeles, and I'm kind of making that shift into into traditional media um, and and hoping to make a mark um, outside of digital now. Beautiful. That's awesome. awesome. Wow. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, you've done a lot of stuff for sure. I mean, but to touch the, the fascinating thing is, uh, I mean, all of it's fascinating, but we'll start the, the top, right? I mean, you touched on being a ballerina uh, at a young age, which is notoriously very physically taxing, also very psychologically taxing, usually, you know, I mean, there's a lot that goes into ballet. That's so much that of an aspect that's psychological. Uh, what was that like? I mean, was there a lot of pressure? Was it a little bit more laid back? Was it very strict? Where were you getting the pressure from if there was any? And how did you respond to that? I'm a second generation ballerina. Uh, my mom was my teacher and um, the person who put me into ballet, like like out of the womb. I, I started dancing um, at like two and a half and I was under contract traveling with a uh with a ballet company at three years old and so i was wow. I, I it took i think it was a not until literally this year that i was like oh yeah i guess i was like a child performer like i didn't really think of it that way um but you know i mean i i had i was getting paid i, w- I had contracts i had um if i didn't show up i would get um you know fees taken out of my salary then, you know, like I was under these pressures of performing from a very, very young age, knowing that there were consequences. Um, and there were not only financial consequences, but of like letting people down. And so I, one of my first memories that I have is crying on stage as I think a three-year-old, um, because I got bonked on the head on stage um, by this prop piece, but I did the entire thing. I did the whole piece crying. And I remember coming off and my mom, uh, praising, giving me praise, like, oh, you were crying, but you did the whole piece. And I feel like that sort of thing has cemented this necessity for me to continue performing no matter what. Um, and this, this, aching of, you know, the, the show must go on. And for a long time, it's allowed me to work really, really damn hard through whatever, but it also sets up this, um, personality where it's just like in a world where everything is performative these days, like every single person out there is like kind of a content creator somebody who puts things out there for other people. Um, whether it's an audience of just your family members or your friends or an audience of a hundred people or thousands. Um, I, I think that it drove me to be in this perpetual state of performing, um, to a point where it led me to a breaking point. Yeah in my life. And so it's not something that I talk about often. Um, but those, those lulls and those, um, uh, burnouts are real. Absolutely. Wow. When, uh, like, when did you, like, if you always, I, I know that's not an easy profession to be in, especially at such a young age, like when, like, would you act out? Like, did you, 
have bad days where like I hurt myself. I don't feel like performing today. Like, how would you get through your days like that? Especially when you're dealing with family too. Like, I wish I could say that I was more of a badass and I acted <laughs> out. And, and, and the truth of it is the performance was always the most important. I had a fever of 103 and we were keeping it, keeping tabs on it. And my mom said, if it gets to 104, I'll take you to the hospital. And it never got to 104. And all I was wishing was to have a fever bad enough to go to the hospital. Because at 104, that's like critical. That's like really, really bad. That's like your body's boiling. And yeah, but but all I could wish for was to get to 104 and it never broke to 104. Um, Yeah, I mean, I've, I've danced in point shoes on a broken toe. I've um, danced through heartache. I've, I remember I performed on the day of my SATs. Like, I, I don't know. It, it set up a life of no matter what, I'll bulldoze through it. And the most important thing is performance. Um, and some of these performances, you know, like there weren't a lot of people in the audience. Some, we filled theaters of like 2,500 people at the Paramount Theater in Oakland. Like it, no matter what, it was that important whether it was 20 people or 2,500 people. Um, but the pressures, <laughs> it's set up a life of me working hard. Is it healthy? Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like yeah. I, we've, we've talked about that before where you're just at a, where you've been at a point of no, but I need to perform for these people and I don't want to let them down. And so, yeah, you, you definitely see how that kind of like something that just gets laid as a foundation at a young age. And it really does stick with you to want a 104 fever, like from someone who has had personally a 104 fever. I had pneumonia years ago and almost died from it because I had a 104 fever. Uh, I don't know why as soon as I started talking about almost dying of pneumonia years ago, Taz started having a happy dream and his tail started wagging. Um, that was very strange. He's out and his totally tail just started wagging. Totally I'm like, I almost died. And he's just like, uh, uh, like um, so, uh, but yeah, like 104 fever was very unpleasant. I was babbling. I was delirious. And so to want that and to be at 103 and still be able to do anything like mm. goodness gracious to have any type of energy or, or output. That's, oh man. The, that's the stuff, a warrior. I, I remember like I've danced through like stomach problems, just like praying that I don't diarrhea all over a person. Like, I mean, the worst, just wanting to throw up right before and being so sick. And I mean, in a pre-COVID world, that was totally okay, right? You're like, I got a fever, but I'm going to show up to work and be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just sit in the corner and, you know, don't touch most things. Like that was totally fine. These days I have a sniffle and I'm like, I'm not going to see you for two weeks. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. With uh, your mom being your teacher, was she able to turn it off at home or did that stay on no matter where you were? Oh, man. The the moments that were turned off were so... I, I want to say they were pretty rare. Um, I, I would draw the line because when she was my coach and I was in class, um, I would call her by her first name and not mom. Part of it was, I think, probably mentally me trying to draw that line. Um, And if she was tough on me, it was kind of like my way of maybe armoring up and realizing that this isn't mom talking, but this is a coach. The other part of it was not wanting 
to have um, special treatment because I was her daughter and wanting to be on the same line as everyone. And that probably goes back to so much of like the imposter syndrome of something being handed to me um, and, and wanting to rise above that feeling like I needed to prove that I deserved these roles because of my, my abilities and not because of nepotism. Um, but that type of imposter syndrome, like definitely continued on into my professional life after dancing, um, even in YouTube and digital. Um, I, I still to this day feel so much imposter syndrome because I feel like this opportunity was handed to me by two folks who had built up this empire. And five years later, they were just like, hey, you want to be a part of it? And me, completely unaware and not knowing what it takes to build something on the internet from the ground up was like, sure, I'll do a show for you. Whatever. This isn't going to be my career. My career is ballet. So this will just be a fun side gig. And it ballooned into this big old thing. Um, and so to a certain degree, I felt this need to constantly give a piece of myself and and give back to the thing that that seemingly was handed to me. And like I I did work really, really hard. Like I, I still had a full-time gig dancing ballet um, and still putting on these shows, but it still felt like the same type of almost nepotism that my that that came from ballet and my mom. Well, I could attest to like your work ethic was always through the work, the roof, you know, I mean, you were always hustling, working on, you know, teaching ballet, doing ballet, the the projects you were doing with Smosh, the things that we had going with hosting. I think we were doing a podcast at the time, too. So it was just like there was so much going on. And you did it. You really it's hilarious how you did just it just fell in your lap. This major like in this is probably not the best analogy but just for people that don't understand the gaming world because i we are not in that gaming world it's a it's a completely different universe all in of itself but for people who don't know the context it's as it's the similar things of like uh carrie fisher auditioning for princess leia and star wars just like oh this this star thing sure i guess I mean, it's not going to be my life, right? Like, I'll just do this. So you come in and smosh just, yeah, oh, this game thing. Sure, it should be a fun, like, side thing. At what point into working with smosh does that pressure kind of come in? Was there any period in the beginning where it was like, oh, this is fun? And, like, you were kind of like, was there a point where you started kind of feeling like you were lying to yourself on like, this isn't a big thing. I'm just trying to do this on a side as a side thing. When does it start taking over and becoming the major thing? And what is your reaction to that? Any normal person I think would have um, jumped ship from the previous life within like a year. Mm. Because I, I mean, when I say I blew up overnight, it was overnight. The first video that, that I put up had over a million views in a week wow. and that was in 2011. So like I immediately went viral. Like I had like, yeah, I just kind of arrived, but it took me five years to like really come to terms with like, this really could be a thing. I was already making more than I than I did with ballet. And, and, and ballet is like you, yeah, it is still kind of like you put yourself in a starving artist sort of like category and that's, perfectly okay because you're it's in the arts and so it's the life that is romanticized and you live it um 
and I, and I almost immediately started making more doing internet stuff. And yet it took me five years to really lay to rest this life of ballet that I put all my eggs into that basket, all of my life. I, I maintained that that's what I was going to do until like my knees broke. And then after my knees broke, I would, I would teach ballet until the day I died. Like that was the life plan. And it was a solid plan. And I, I, I'm the type of person who plans out everything. I'm like, I'm like an ENTJ, like type a uh, plan everything out type of person. And so for me, that life of ballet was like simple, clean, easy, got it in the bag. This digital media thing is, you know, volatile. No one knows where it's going, especially in the in the early 2010s. Um, and so I'm like, why would I put any sort of, um, you know, why would I bank on this, not knowing where it's going to go? Um, really, really wish that I could talk to myself back then and be like, no, bank on it. It's going to be around, you idiot. <laughs> but I didn't. So, yeah, it took me five years. Yeah, no, that that, wow. that checks out. That sounds about right. That's a long time to kind of come around to it for sure. And <clears throat> now you stuck around with Smosh for a good long while. And then there came a point where you start. Yeah, 12 years. No, 10 yeah, years, that, 10 years, 10, 10 years. years. Yeah, that's a good long while. Absolutely. And that's enough to build your own brand like you did and everything. And then you were able to kind of like separate from them and kind of go off and do your own thing. Um, was there an aspect in doing your own thing that kind of was better for your mental health? Do you feel like things are a little bit more in your own hands now? You've got a better handle on it. Where are you at now having gone through all that of transition and are you at a better place? What are the things you're doing for yourself now? Hell yeah. I'm so, I'm so glad that you're catching me today um, as opposed to like a year ago because yeah. I've been on my own now for two years, like since mm -hmm. the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, wow. And in the beginning, God, in the beginning, when I when I departed from Smosh, I had to um, really treat it like a um, like a like going through grief, and uh, that's when I sought out therapy um, on a more consistent level. I sought out therapy in the past, but it was like I just need to get through this one thing. And I got through the one thing, and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna armor up, and then we're not gonna touch the other stuff. I'm just not there yet and i'm like ah like i think a lot of people are like no it's just fine i i get through the day um but the all the other stuff the unpacking that's where it gets scary and i'm not i'm not there yet so i'm just gonna zip it back up and i think that's that's always been me um but pandemic times of course we all know lots of solitary time lots of time to kind of dig around being like i feel things and um I feel a certain way and I'm such a thinker that I don't really give myself a lot of time to feel. And I was like, Oh God, I got to feel stuff now. It's time. Um, yeah. Being on my own was scary as shit. Um, I, I, and it still is to a certain degree, but it is extremely freeing because, um, I, I don't have to, um, worry about disappointing other people, I don't have to worry about um, kind of 
setting myself up in, in the most easy way for other people to kind of like place me into what works into the cog, into the machine. Mm. Um, I feel like I've really like kind of busted out of that machine. And to a certain point, to a certain extent, I'm a lot more cynical about the things that I do and about like content and, um, digital and kind of where, uh, media is going to a, to a whole degree. But because of that, um, I'm writing a ton. Um, and, and it's just where I'm putting my thoughts right now. And with putting down my thoughts, my feelings are coming out. And, um, so it's like a vulnerable place in, in, in a place that I don't put myself too often. Um, but, but that soft squishy part is, um, it's, it's seeping out into my writing these days. And so I'm, I'm excited to be able to put that into the world as not content, but art. That's awesome. I love that. That's awesome. Um, when all of the digital media stuff started, how was your family receptive to you kind of shifting gears? Um, I think they were fascinated, but they were also able to kind of like see that as like a, like a fun little side thing because ballet was, you know, that was, that was the thing that kind of uh, kept me afloat as far as um, being an artist, you know, and, and I'm, I'm uh, the second um, sibling in my family. I have an older brother and my brother who I think is more of like a free spirit type of person than me. Like he always really wanted to get into like snowboarding and surfing, um, just kind of be like a, like a beach bum and just live off of, you know, a couple bucks a day and surf all day. He became a doctor and he's got a family. He's got a couple of kids. Um, and so I think it really paved the way to lend. (laughs) (laughs) Freaking PhD. What is that? Useless. Sounds like um, the easy way out. <laughs> <laughs> he really paved the way for allowing me to just kind of um, find my own way. But I think my for my parents, like like ballet is the equivalency of Harvard in their mind, mm. you know, and everything else is kind of lesser than. And so I still feel that pressure today, even of like, well, if none of that works out, you still have ballet. And it's true. I do. I, I know that I could go and teach anywhere at any point um, and make a few bucks enough to like put food on the table. Um, but I, I don't know if they realize how much digital lend uh, led to me being able to like break out and be free as a person. Um, I think that's pretty discounted in their minds still. Gotcha. Fair enough. I mean, I think that makes sense. But to that effect, kind of expand on the kind of family dynamic, the support system dynamic, because this is always something we like to uh, put in perspective on this podcast is what does support look like to a person who is in this digital media world? You know, uh, like that's such a fundamental thing for us because it's a matter of like, if you know somebody who is in this field and you're they're friends with you're friends with them, how are you able to show up in an impactful way for them without overstepping their boundaries, as it were? Like what does ideal support look like uh in in that light? I know that it doesn't I so it took so much therapy for me to get to a place of understanding that the type of 
um, approval that I want and need for the things that I do, I can't expect out of my mom anymore. Mm. Um, and I had to sit on this question from my therapist of like, are you okay with not getting that approval from your mom? And I couldn't give a straight answer for a while because I'm just like, the, the easy answer is being like, yes, that's totally fine. And, and I had to dig around a lot to be like, get through the scary parts where I'm like, okay, well, if I can't get, if I'm working all this time and doing all these things, accomplishing as much as I can in order to get that approval from my mom and I know I'm not going to get it, then I'm going to, am I going to stop working? Does my drive just go away? What the hell is the point of all this if I don't get her approval? Um, I just thought that I would just sit back and, you know, like not want to work ever again. <laughs> but I realized that that's not true. I still have a lot of other holes that are empty inside of me that I'm trying to fulfill with work. So um, <laughs> I realized that it, that wasn't going to be the, you know, the 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 thing that's going to dry up my driving force. Um, and then I had this this thought of like, well, okay, if I'm not seeking approval from my mom, then I know that the right answer is that I'm that is that I'm trying to fulfill my own needs and and essentially like approval from myself. And then I had the existential crisis of like, well, what if I'm not enough? What if I'm not enough to want to fulfill these needs? Bah, 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 you know, like really big questions that I was throwing at myself. Um, but it gave me a lot of solace and peace to kind of let that go and then realize that I that I have a much bigger drive and um, everything else that I did from there on has been so fulfilling. Um, I think that that true um, support in all the lines of work that don't fall into quote unquote normal lawyers, doctors, things that have existed for a long time and think, think, things that seem to be on the fringe, I think it is to support without um, projecting your own insecurities about work that may or may not work out, work that may or may not um, be the, the thing that makes sense two months down the line, six months down the line eight years down the line, you know, it's like, I think that we're so able to project our feelings because of worry for ourselves and sometimes genuine worry for the person. Um, I, I, I realized after a while that what my parents are most afraid of is that with their mortality, you know, kind of like in view that they will have failed as parents if they didn't put me on the right track. And so all the times that they have, tried to put me back on the track of what they think is secure, which is ballet. Um, it wasn't necessarily them not believing in me, but more so that they were just trying to make sure that I was safe in case they were gone. Um, and so seeing that from their lens gave me so much empathy as a parent, which I'm not, I'm not a parent, but I, I saw it from a different pair of lenses. Um, and that I think was able to give me a little, you know, healing patch and not just a bandaid, but something that started to fill in a hole. That makes sense. That makes sense. Beautifully put for not, you know, projecting your insecurities on somebody because it doesn't fit this look of what you think work should be. Yeah. Things are changing so fast <laughs> these days too, mm -hmm. that it's like, 
it almost I can understand how it's it could seem irresponsible to not be like you should, you know, go the school route, do the intern thing after school and then try to get a job that where you're working 40 hours a week. Like that seems like it should be the responsible thing rather than be like, yeah, you're blown up on TikTok at 14. Yeah, go go down that road. You know, it's like, I don't know. I think it is so difficult nowadays to figure out what the right road is. We've, we've like Pandora's box is open now and depriving an 11 year old kid who's a superstar at video games being like, I think I could do the esport thing is now with, yeah, it's, I don't know. Well, it's like, there's a certain, there's a certain kind of degree to it where, I mean, it's not, it might not be the complete truth, but there's an argument to be made for it's like in the comparison of the 40 hour work week and that whole path and the security, or like you said, the gaming path or the media path that we've gone down and everything. It's like, well, do you want to be safe or do you want to be happy? Mm-hmm. I mean, because it's like you could have all the security in the world. I don't know very many people who are super happy in that situation. You know, they're kind of like, well, you have to because that's how the world works. But then I know plenty of people who like took a chance and went down the road less traveled. And yeah, sometimes things get dicey. But I mean, those loops in the roller coaster are a lot of fun. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so mm-hmm. it's the up and the down. It's the ebb and the flow. It's the playing the game of life and, and, and winning and losing and learning and all of it and together. So, yeah, I think it's a matter of like, are you going to actually be able to appreciate the journey if it's like all this cushy, wishy security or are you going to go out and do something? You know, I mean, and who knows what might happen if you go out and do something? Take the chance. What you said reminds me about projection Sometimes people project their fears because it means that they have to look inward Mm -hmm. and realize that maybe they're not pushing their own boundaries Mm -hmm. and being like, oh, no, Mm -hmm. maybe I'm not happy. Maybe I should have jumped ship 20 years ago on that Mm -hmm. thing that could have been that other thing. And that's Mm -hmm. really scary, too. Like, I have a lot of empathy for like, like. Gen X and boomers who are like pissed off at our generation and beyond of like, what do you mean you're not happy? So you're doing something else. You're not supposed to be happy, you know, because like if I was them and I and I had worked like for 40 years at a job that I hated and started living my life finally when I retired, I'd be like, no, 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 no. No, I had a really unhappy life. You should go through an unhappy life too. Cause otherwise, what does that mean for me? You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, that's a really, really morbid and scary thing Mm -hmm. to have to look about, you know, like look, look through your life and being like, well, that was a big ball of regret. That sucked. (laughs) Oh yeah. Of course they're angry. Of course. Yeah, I know. Right. For sure. It's hard. I mean, misery begets more misery. Right. So, I mean, but it's it's hard. There are those boomers out there and and that generation that are finding it in themselves to be like, all right, good for you guys for breaking the chain. Yeah. I mean, if we got to fix this whole thing and tear it down to build something up new again, good for you. There are they're out there. They're definitely the minority. But yeah, it, it, it is wild watching the surgeons of just like, yeah, no, I don't think we might have like 10 more years of livable climate. You want me to just like be in an, an office all week? Absolutely not. I'm going to live in this van and, and be an influencer. Like let that's, that sounds like a lot more fun. I'll figure it out and pee in a can every day. Like <laughs> I'm, 
not not gonna subscribe to the matrix man so yeah so i mean it's a wild time for sure but i mean being able to put things into a healthy perspective for yourself and move forward with your best foot while also unpacking that intergenerational trauma it's a good time to do it no better time than the present uh yeah. ladies any questions for mara before we ride off in the sunset i think so oh this has been pretty awesome yeah like i just like do you still are you are you so when you maintain a relationship with your parents like it's 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 good yeah yeah it's good because of the because of the perspective i see it from their eyes yeah and you know i think parents parents it's like they want the best for you and sometimes what they think the best is isn't what you think your best is and i think that's hard for them to wrap their head around that totally totally and they're both you know like they grew up um post-world war ii yeah. growing up with such scarcity and for my mom you know like she in her mind gave me the education to be able to feed myself for the rest of my life that is how she sees it and so for for me to not take that gift and run with it for the rest of my life I think feels for her like this this prophecy in her mind has not been fulfilled but i think more and more she realizes that that's that was hers and and not so much mine and it's a hard pill for her to swallow but I, we're taking it like like day by day week by week month by month you know and and i and i think she more and more believes in what i'm doing i think it's still uh, a huge wish for her for me to be like, I'm going back to dancing. Um, but I think she also realizes the flaw in that. Um, and all I can ask is that she's looking inwardly and it's scary for boomers, but she's doing it. So that's they exciting. Want, that's yeah, exciting. They want you to be okay. They want you to be okay is what it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. They want That's you to be crazy. okay, and it sounds like they want themselves to be okay with it yeah. as well. The, the really. accepting of like, oh, okay, maybe we need to kind of go about things a different way. That's super inspiring. Well, I yeah. appreciate you coming on and being so open and honest and vulnerable with us. Thank you so much for your time, as always. Armor and why don't you, Right? I know, right? Uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's going through it. He's coming in and out of it. Uh, but uh, why don't you let people know who are watching this and uh, where they can find you online and all that fun stuff. I'm across the board at Atomic Mari, A-T-O-M-I-C-M-A-R-I. Boom. There you go. Follow her at Atomic Mari on all the social medias. Uh, Heather runs our social at Mad Podcast on Instagram. You should follow Susan at Susan Thompson Haha and all the stuff. And I'm at Miles Weber Joker on all the funny socials. So make sure you like, subscri- subscribe, all that fun stuff. Thank you so much for watching and listening. And we will see y'all next time. Goodbye now. Bye.